and left yourself in Make good on a promise Never heard again If you lost and loaded You're broken down Bring all of your trouble Come down, down Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis a podcast about living our new life in the New Covenant Age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Well, welcome to Kaisis. I don't think we need any disclaimers today, like we did last week. What do you think? No, I think it's a it's PG this week. Okay, <laughs> and hopefully it won't be that long. That was a long one last week, but yeah. uh, let me just review briefly as we get into our passage, which is Matthew five, thirty one and thirty two. As I review, you can, if you don't mind, be ready to read that, Osvaldo. Yeah. So we've been talking about the six antitheses in Matthew five. And explaining that these are the ethics of the kingdom that Christ came to bring. These will characterize the kingdom people in the new covenant. So we started with love for brethren, opposed to hatred for them, will characterize Christians. Love for people opposed to lust, we looked at last week. Today we'll look at Christian marriage. Next week we'll look at honesty. And then the final two antitheses have to do with our relationship with unbelievers. What will Christians be like in their relationships with unbelievers in this age? Now, as we discuss marriage and divorce, let me say a couple of things. First, as often as this passage is used for divorce, it's really about marriage, hmm. not really about divorce. I have written a dissertation, many of you know, on this passage it is available for free on my website, Kingdom Compilations. That's two Ks, actually. Trying to be cute there for two kingdom, but <laughs> kingdomcompilations.com. And you can download that. Some of the things we'll be talking about will be from there, but that's much more extensive. And so why don't you read 31 and 32? Yes, it reads... It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her uh, the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so as with the other antitheses, Jesus begins with the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is almost directly from Deuteronomy 24. Under the Mosaic law, a husband was allowed to divorce his wife if she displeased him, it says. It doesn't give any details, and that was understood in Israel. For any reason, a husband was allowed to divorce his wife if he was displeased with her. Now, given it was a patriarchal society, the wives did not have the same um, ability to do. It was only the husband who could make that decision. And so to protect the wife, if the man was going to divorce his wife, he was required to write her a certificate of divorce. 
That was to protect the wife so she could legally remarry. In that culture, if you didn't remarry, you could starve, uh, be terribly misused, resort to all kinds of things to survive. And so to protect the wife, a certificate of divorce was required. So in the Old Covenant, marriage was allowed under almost any circumstance, and there were, divorce was fairly common. Now, why allow this if this is God's law? Well, Matthew 19, Jesus reveals it, where he says, it's because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses allowed this. Hmm. Because there were so many cruel husbands in Israel, and the wives had no protection, no right to divorce, and they needed protecting, then God allowed easy divorce so she could get out of that marriage and um, marry someone else for protection and provision and love. No. And so it was not an ideal situation. The ideal situation was given to us before the fall, Jesus says. In Adam and Eve before the fall, that's the ideal situation for marriage, where Adam looks at her and says, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, committed love for life, loving one another as their own flesh. That's the ideal. And so there were some good loving marriages in, in, in Israel, but those were rare. As a whole, Israel was a hard-hearted nation with hard-hearted people. And so their marriages reflected their hard hearts. And so this law of Moses was given to restrain sin. Yeah and protect the wives from cruel husbands. So we've talked about this before, Osvaldo, but any comments on understanding the Mosaic law as provisional and temporary? Yes. So something we have to have in mind when reading the the Old Testament is, is the overarching you know, picture. What's the bigger picture? Is that Jesus um, was to come, the Messiah was to come from this people, from this nation. So God establishes these, these rules that ensured Israel's preservation, right, in, in some sort of social order until this time happens. And I really like the language that Galatians uses where um, Paul in Galatians 4.24, he says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So this idea of, you know, of a guardian, almost like the, you know, tutor child language was meant kind of conveys that that provisional and temporary um, elements of the law once again it, it was meant to preserve a hard-hearted nation until the Christ came until the Christ brought that that was better and greater um, and that's exactly what we're what, what, we, what we're seeing unfolding here in, in Matthew 5 yes yeah that's what, exactly what Jesus is explaining isn't he yeah and so that was the old covenant. Now, what about the new covenant, the kingdom Christ came to bring, the filling of the Spirit in this covenant, the ethics of heaven? That is reflected in the second sentence. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, here's where the church usually has gone wrong. It forgets the context of the six antitheses and it ignores the use of hyperbole throughout the passage. We've already seen hyperbole used when we were told that um, if we've offended someone, we leave 
our offering at the altar, which again was impossible to do in a literal sense, and then come back and expect to be able to you know, offer it a few weeks or months later, as long as it would take to go back home. And we saw hyperbole that if we lust, cut out our eyes, our right eye, obvious hyperbole. And then we'll see it in the next one right after this, where Jesus says, don't take any vows ever. Hmm. And of course, there are a few in church history who have taken that literally. Yes. And ignored the hyperbole. But we can't ignore the use of hyperbole that we see in every other one and expect it not to be here. So the point is that in the the new age, in the um, kingdom of heaven, it will be so radically different from the Old Testament Israel because in the kingdom of heaven, hard hearts are softened. Hearts of stone are replaced, Ezekiel 36, with hearts of flesh. And so there will not need, there will but not be filled with, his kingdom will not be filled with cruel hearts. So there will not be a need for this easy divorce. Now, in ignoring the hyperbole, the church has taken this as some sort of canon law of exactly when and pe when people can, Christians can and can't divorce, which is not the point. Because the hyperbole is obvious here. First of all, you cannot make someone commit adultery. Adultery is a willful act. And yet here you make someone else commit adultery. Secondly, the innocent party in the first example is the one committing adultery. So in the first example, she remarries for provision and she's the one committing his adultery. See how it says makes her commit adultery? No. You divorce her wrongly. And so she gets remarried and She's committed adultery. We know that's not true in a literal sense. And so the question is, what is the point of the hyperbole? Third point is, if you says if you ever marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery. But we know that's not always true. And then fourth, we see throughout the Bible that sexual immorality is not the only reason for divorce. The Apostle Paul feels free to add abandonment to this as another reason. And so if Jesus was being exhaustive, because he says, except for sexual immorality, then Paul wouldn't have the freedom to pastorally simply add another reason. Yeah. So Paul must have understood Jesus as hyperbolic here. No. And so we ask the question, well, if sexual immorality is the only reason for divorce, what about attempted murder? What about rape? What about, um, you know, if he's beating her over and over or even once? Are we saying that this is a literal law? And so Paul shows us by adding one that Jesus was not being exhaustive. He was using hyperbole. He, so what is the danger of the church ignoring the obvious hyperbole here? to form some sort of canon law of exactly when you can get divorced? Well, one, obviously, historically, the, the victims have always been women, right? That, that That's the major consequence where women are, are forced to um, be in these very abusive, emotional, spiritual, and physically abusive relationships because of, because of this, right? That's, that's like 
the immediate um, unfortunate consequence of, of holding, of not understanding the hyperbole here. And, and two, the fact that a lot of Christians, or at least historically Christians, um, have ignored the hyperbole here, it's, it's honestly, Pastor, it, it kind of highlights there a little bit of the hypocrisy and kind of to hit, to hit home a little bit, a little bit more personal is, for example, a lot of the church fathers, I mean, early, early Christians were, were pacifists. Right. They, they took very seriously when, when when Jesus says, if they strike you in the cheek, you know, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. Historically, how has the church understood that? They've, they've always made exceptions, you know, even even reform folk really have the tendency of, you know what, kind of making a case for for justice and the nature of government. And, and, and they're able to kind of find a kind of a loophole around that. And American Christians, it's interesting, have have no issue with with with, you know, with the uh american military or war i'm, I'm making a case of that of, about that's wrong or anything i'm just giving an example of how we today like to make exceptions to a passage like turn the other cheek but a passages like these where for some reason we're, we're staunch we're staunch um literalists and saying you know what there is no middle ground there is no flexibility here we have to do what the text says i just think that it's a little bit hypocritical at least coming from a lot of western christian traditions yeah, that's really a great point. That we're not very consistent in these laws, are we? No. Yeah. So what then? Of course, that's the question. Is the point of the hyperbole? What is, what is he, the Lord saying? Well, remember, in the Old Testament kingdom, easy divorce was allowed, but in the kingdom of heaven, that will not characterize God's people. And so, in the first example, if a wife remarries. In this example, she has two husbands. That's why she would be committing adultery. So what is the point of this? The point is that the spouse that was responsible for the easy divorce is still responsible for the marriage. So if she remarries, it's as if she still has two husbands. That's the picture here, not in a literal sense. She really legally only has one hus husband. But in God's eyes... Marriage is so um, committed for life that if a person easily divorces his spouse, and in the context here, it's for another person. If, if a husband or wife easily divorces for another person, then in God's eyes, they're still married in a sense. They're still responsible for that person. And so in the hyper, hyperbolic example, it's as if they're both still committing adultery if there's remarriage. Again, literally, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you see it as a picture, as, as hyperbole, then it makes sense of what's being said. That you cannot get away with easy divorce in Christ's kingdom because we live in a higher standard. Jesus came to bring in the ideal ethics of true love, and commitment in marriage that lasts a lifetime. That was, was reflected in the beginning. So the point is, if you leave a spouse for another, like the Old Testament Jews were doing, that's not going to work in Christ's kingdom. They got away with that in Old Testament Israel, and they, were, they could even be respected uh, members of the kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven is not for hard hearts who divorce easily. No. And so the hyperbole is to show that marriage in God's eyes is expected for life. So if you easily divorce someone, 
simply because you don't want to be committed. Wherever you go, it's as, as if you are now committing adultery, even if you're legally remarried. Because you're in Christ's kingdom with a higher ethic of marriage. No. That's the point of the hyperbole. Now, how does understanding the hyperbole really help understand this passage? Well, one, one thing, Pastor, that we have to have in mind is marriage, you know, at least here in the United States, we have it, 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 marriage has evolved to something more, you know, romantic, kind of that, that angle, um, less social, financial or, or religious elements are kind of pushed, n not as emphasized as, as, as before. I mean, uh, for a lot of the people, you sometimes married up, right? You married um, as a as a way to climb the social ladder, or there were financial reasons. It was financially benefit, like it, it benefited you. You had some advantage on marrying uh, of a particular family and stuff. And what what Jesus is teaching us here is that you know, like God cares about marriage. You, you try to reduce it to some 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 mere financial or social, you know, just a social means to climb the ladder. That, that if, if you're if that's what you're marrying for. Or that's why you're even divorcing because you're no longer um, receiving the same benefits that you thought. No, well, then you're wrong. You have to change your your understanding of marriage altogether. And like you said, in, in the kingdom of God, um, in God's eyes, better said, marriage is like you said, it's for life. It's 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 it, and and what's something that really called uh, grabbed my attention is that Jesus here is using the same language that the prophets used to refer to the covenant. You know, when, whenever the prophets were speaking of Israel's of Israel going um, after other gods, it was interesting the language that the prophets would use. They would say, "Israel, you have committed sexual morality. You have fornicated with other gods, and have left your husband, Yahweh, God." And Jesus here is almost like he's doing like something very similar insofar by by kind of to to emphasize how important marriage is. He's like, you know what? In the same way that you know, covenant. You know, the covenant is so important between Israel and God. Marriage is equally important, you know. And I think you're going to explain how how this language of sexual morality is actually borrowing from, is alluding to that covenant language. But I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Yeah, I'm so glad you led with that because that's exactly the point. Um, appreciate that. That What then do we do with this phrase, except for sexual immorality? Where does that fit in the hyperbole? Well, we've already said he's not limiting divorce to only that reason. As, so, as if a husband could try to kill his wife, but he's fine because he didn't actually commit adultery. That's not the point. And as you said, sexual immorality in the Old Testament is figurative for covenant breaking. Mm. And so Jesus is using that language. And so to break the covenant is to do something either one time or continually so sinful that you deny the marriage vows instead of love you've hated. And we're not talking about arguing or, you know, sin, you know, everyday problems, but we're talking about something so serious that there's a breach in the marriage because of cruelty, hatred, uh, immorality, etc. So that's what sexual immorality pictures. And notice that the Lord uses a more general term, porneia, instead of the word specifically that's for adultery in Greek, it's mm. more general. Yeah. And so again, he's not saying abuse, you can stay in, you have to stay in the marriage, attempted murder, you have to stay in. Um, but if there's anything sexually immoral, then you can 
divorce. That's not the point at all. The point is that in the new covenant, that the love between husband and wife will be so strong that they will be married for life unless something drastic is happening. And that drastic would only come from a covenant breaking a hard heart. And so he's making a statement about the new covenant, how wonderful marriages will be in that this time in this covenant, they will last normally unless a spouse breaks covenant. And so easy divorce will not be happening to go marry other people in the new covenant because filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have the ethics of love for one another. And so on the, in the positive sense, Jesus came to change hearts that marriages will last forever and it will reflect the original intent for marriage with two people committed to each other. But Jesus didn't come simply to keep people in marriages. Often that seems to be the goal of many churches. Yes, there's hatred. Yes, there's cruelty. Yes, there's hard hearts and abuse, but let's just keep them married as if that somehow fulfills the ethic. No. But notice here, the ethic is love throughout this passage. The Holy Spirit gives us love for one another. Anybody can stay together out of fear or, as you said, a business arrangement. But the whole point is that the new covenant gives love for one another, and that will be reflected in lifelong marriages. Any comments? Yeah, it's very interesting to read kind of the mar like the passages to speak of marriages, especially in the in the in the epistles of Paul. Um, the constant like the Old Testament doesn't speak explicitly, right, about you know husbands love your wives, husbands care for your wives, um, and and Paul, you know, obviously as an apostle, he gets it. You know, he gets the ethic of the kingdom. And, and and he encourages Christians, and 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 he, you could even say, um, expands, you know, the from 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 the teachings of Jesus, what it, what what God's intention is for for marriage. It's not like you said, it's not just mere financial or social arrangements. No, God God's intention is is that you genuinely, from the from the from the new heart that you have in this kingdom, that you now love your spouse. Um, regardless right of social or, or or financial matters and i think that that's um i think that's what jesus is trying to capture here and that paul kind of um more explicitly puts forth in his epistles yeah and let's talk about getting this wrong as you said there's so many and it's mostly women as you said but some men also yeah um so many because the church gets this wrong who have suffered from a legalistic sort of a canon law approach to this passage. Because we see that in the Old Covenant, God did allow escape from cruelty in marriage. And not just in Deuteronomy 24, but there are other places in the law which, gave, which instructed husbands, if you're not going to provide for your wife, let her go. And in the New Testament, we're told that even though we, we are to be submissive to government, we are allowed to flee persecution. Mm -hmm. We don't have to stay and take it, in other words. And so God's heart has not changed. Um, if, if you're married to a fake believer who has no love but hatred for you and, and you're in danger, 
maybe physically or even emotionally. Some are very suicidal in these situations. No. God does allow a way of escape. He hasn't changed. And many of our church fathers saw this. Uh, Martin Luther listed other possible reasons divorce may be allowed among Christians, including refusal, refusal of conjugal rights. Uh, the Puritans often, if they would church discipline someone who didn't um, give conjugal rights to their partner, and then that partner was free to divorce. Refusal to live in the same house with them. Hmm. Or Luther wrote, if a marriage partner is rude, brutal, or unbearable. Hmm. Even William Perkins, the English Puritan, allowed for divorce for reasons he called malicious dealings or intolerable conditions in which a spouse might be living. So they had more sympathy for those who suffer in marriage and cruelty. And even though they might have said, normally we have two exceptions, they didn't take that as some sort of limiting canon law, which so many do today. But the church has not historically dealt with divorce very well, has it? No, very, very, very bad. Let, let me quote you from a church um, figure. His name is Jerome. You've probably known him from, from he, he translated the Latin Vulgate, um, the Greek a Bible into into Latin. These are his words regarding divorce. He says, do not tell me about the violence of the ravisher, about the persuasiveness of a mother, about the authority of a father, about the influence of relatives, about the intrigues and insolence of servants, or about household losses. So long as a husband lives, be he adulterer, be he sodomite, be he addicted to every kind of vice, if she left him on account of his crimes, he is her husband still, and she may not take another. Wow. Yeah. and That's horrible. It is terrible. And it's interesting, Pastor. You know, so my, my, my grandmother from, from El Salvador, she got married to a very, 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 very bad person. My grandfather was not a good person. He was a, a known rapist, a known murderer. She didn't know that till after they got married. And she tried to divorce him. You know, after after having two two kids with him, and and it's interesting because El Salvador was predominantly Roman Catholic. She was not allowed to divorce, and she actually lived a very difficult life, and she had many de near death experiences under this man. And it really makes you think: Was did Jesus have this in mind when he wanted a reform, or better say, wanted to introduce in us a new kingdom perspective on marriage? And I think the obvious answer is no. Yeah, it's unfortunate how many stories there are throughout yeah. church history and even today. Today, yeah. Well, let's summarize this passage. Um, and so if, if a Christian is in a situation where they realize they're married to an unbeliever, and it's not just that they're an unbeliever, but it has to be, you know, cruelty, a hard heart. Because many unbelievers can be good husbands and wives. Yeah. You can still love. But if, if you're living in cruelty and you don't know if you can take it much longer, there there is a way of escape. Now, you should always get counsel. These are difficult decisions. But it's not the church's role to decide for you. It's, it's up to the individual. That's really in a Roman Catholic idea from the Middle Ages that the church has to 
grant a divorce. That wasn't in the early church. And Luther tried to take it out of the church's hands in that way. That doesn't mean the church isn't involved in counseling. But ultimately, a person has to decide um, if, if they have to leave a marriage because of cruelty or danger. And that's really ultimately between them and God. Because Matthew 5 is not a case law. And that means that church leaders do not have to play detective. <laughs> if, you know, did, did adultery actually take place? You know, one says yes, one says no. The church feels like they have to grant a divorce or not. And so they, they, you have elders who play detective to try to figure it out. That is not the point of the church. And that is not what Jesus was trying to suggest needs to happen. And so church leaders are often fearful because when two people come to you and they talk about hatred and cruelty, what if one of them is lying? What if one of them is trying to get out and have an easy divorce? But what if we're not sure? And so one partner says, I can't take it anymore. I won't sleep with that person. Um, it is destroying me. I need to leave. And the other person says, no, they're making this up. They're exaggerating. They have someone else in mind. And you don't know. I mean, marriages that have, they've been married for 30 years, we barely know these people compared. How are church leaders supposed to make a judgment on these things? We're not experts on their marriage. So what church leaders need is a strong doctrine of the second coming of Christ. Hmm. That the Lord's going to resolve all these things. And not everything can be solved by church discipline. Because if you force someone to stay in a marriage where there really is cruelty and it, it's destroying them, then you're in danger of causing one of his little ones to fall. And that's not a good thing. And so then the fear is, well, what if we're wrong? What if somebody was lying the whole time? Well, Christ is coming again. And he is the one that's going to judge all things. He sees the hearts. We're not Christ. And, and so some of these things will not be worked out in the church courts. And, and I think if churches feel like, for some reason, divorce is the one sin where we have to be able to make a statement and discipline on it. And that's just simply not true. And it wasn't even true in the divorce problem in 1 Corinthians 7. Discipline is not even brought up. So divorce can be forgiven, just like lust and anger can be forgiven previously. Um, but And we can't use the excuse that, well, if there's physical abuse, then they're allowed to divorce. But only physical abuse. But all cruelty and hatred affects the body and soul. Yes. We're not able to separate these things. Mm -hmm. It's a false separation anyways. But the one responsible for the divorce is not necessarily the one who files, but according to this passage, it's the one who breaks covenant. It's the one through evil actions causes the other one to not be able to take it anymore. He cannot stay in the marriage because of the sin and hatred. And so if there is a divorce and you realize you are the guilty party, then as a Christian, you can if you are a Christian, you can try to reunite. 
because you're still responsible for that person's well-being. But if you cannot and there's repentance, then, you know, you, you can move on with your life and remarry. Um, as long as you've tried. But the point is, in all this, is not to create some sort of new law in marriage and divorce, but to show in the new covenant that Jesus will bring about what the Israelites could not do, and that is to love one another from the heart with a new heart that will last for life. Mm -hmm. um, if you're both members of the new covenant and you both filled with the Spirit, then that should happen. Uh, because of that committed love. That's the point no. of the hyperbole. Any final thoughts as we close? Yeah, and I think what we're trying to communicate is that the new covenant, once again, brings such a such a newness of life that like every aspect of our lives changes. Our relationships change, the way we interact with others change. Um, and I think a really good example or analogy would be, look, look, look what happens in the new covenant. For the first time, you have Jews and Gentiles kind of interacting with one another for the first time. And Paul and a lot of the apostles have to deal with all the cultural and, and social issues that come with that. Jews don't eat pork. Gentiles do. Does that mean we can never be together? No. What they encourage is like now in the new covenant, we now love each other and we seek to, to not separate over minor differences or to excommunicate each other over secondary things. On the contrary, let's make this work now that we, we love each other. Um, and we share one spirit. And I think that's the same thing that's happening here. If, 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 you know, Jesus is communicating in my kingdom, now that both the husband and the, and the woman and the, and the wife are now members of this new covenant, you can't divorce her over such a, uh, like, like you said, such a, whatever reckless um, impulse you have over, Oh, she, she doesn't do X, Y, Z. Let me leave. No, no, no. Jesus says, no, L let us reframe our way of living. Let us reframe and change um, our our interactions with with even our spouses in such a way where like you can't divorce these love her respect her stay with her and uses this hyperbole to to communicate how important marriages are before the eyes of God and I think that should always be kind of in, in front of us always yeah and where the church should discipline according to this passage is on the covenant breaker yes the hard heart. And that may not be the one who files. Often it's the opposite yeah. because the hard heart is using the other and wants to continue using. So who is, who is it that is so cruel that the other wants to leave or who is so cruel to simply divorce um, because he doesn't want to be committed or he wants somebody else? And if you're not sure who that party is as, as a church, then leave it to the Lord. That, that's the comfort we have as fallible church leaders, that we don't have to figure everything out. We don't have to make wrong choices we're not sure of. We can leave it to God to work out in the second coming and just try to minister to people the best we can. We can. Yeah. So we'll leave that there. We hope this is helpful. Next week, we're going to look at honesty. And what, what does he mean by no vows? Honesty and keeping your word uh, in the kingdom of heaven. So thanks for joining us, Osvaldo. As always, thanks for your help. Oh, you yes. rich and the high above All of those with and without love All you burn and broken 
Come lay 'em down, come lay 'em down.